y'all. Here we go. You just clap your hands and you stomp your feet because you're listening to the sound of the show shot beat. I'm the K-I-N-G, the T-I-M, King Tim the Third, and I am him. Just me, Fat Bat, and the crew, we're doing it all. Just for you, we're strong as an ox and tall as a tree. We can rock it so viciously. We throw the highs in your eyes, the bass in your face. We're the funk machines that rock the human race. Skate down, boogie shot. Come on, girl, let's do the rock. Slam dunk, do the jerk. Let me see your body work. To the beat, everybody. To the beat, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to La Decima, the 10th episode of Chill Time is Well Time. Welcome, I'm your host, William Moore, and I have a pretty good show for you guys here today. I want to say, once again, happy to all those who have been subscribing and listening to the podcast, and I hope that you continue to, and I hope that I can continue to bring you guys Um, exciting shows, topics, um, and things to think about um, to keep you engaged. So, without further ado, let's get started with what has now become customary to lead off the episodes, my little venting session that I like to call Graduate Decisions. That uh, session of the podcast where I vent and talk about some of the dumb decisions or dumb things that I've noticed from the past week. So, the first thing on that list that I want to vent about is homeowners associations. Now, I understand that their homeowners associations are good for some things, such as, you know, everybody in the neighborhood chipping in to get lawns or whatever taken care of or snow removal. But in reality... I feel like they were just created to be an elaborate way to keep certain folks out of a neighborhood or to control people. I mean, if you pay a mortgage and you own your own home, why should you have to rely on a homeowners association, an entity, neighbors, or anybody else to tell you what you can and cannot do with your legally owned property and land? I, 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 sorry, I just don't understand that. If you're not paying my mortgage and your name isn't on the deed to my property, then you can shut all the way the hell up with trying to tell me what I can and cannot do with my property. I don't want to hear nothing about what I can build on my property, what colors I paint anything, any of that. 
It's ridiculous. I refuse to pay a monthly fee so that somebody else can tell me what to do with my own property. For those of you who do so and don't mind it, all the more power to you. But I'm just telling you right now, it is not something that I'm good with. I couldn't do it. The next thing that I want to talk about um, that is that that really bothers me or that I vent, you know, feel like I need to vent about is in wake of the Santa Fe High School school shooting in Houston, Texas. Um, there is a lieutenant governor who said that in wake of the new school shooting that just happened, that they're going to start looking at all type of measures, such as, um, I guess, limiting the number of exits and entrances into school buildings, um, so on and so forth. To be honest, he basically did what any Republican or NRA lackey has been doing every time a school shooting has happened. And that is come up with any solution, any excuse, anything possible other than gun control or any type of restrictions on obtaining weapons. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Makes no sense. I mean, come on, let's let's think about it. Limiting the number of exits and entrances into a school building. That's that would be like, you know, shooting fish in a barrel. Leaving a very few options for kids to escape if something like that happens. Another dumb decision. Another dumb thought. How about putting more thought and care into the safety of our students? More money. Stop taking money from the NRA and start putting more money in legislation and precautions that you can do on a local level to limit the access to weapons. So we can keep kids safe. That was the second thing that I needed to vent about. And the third and final thing that I want to talk about in graduate decisions before I move on to what I think is going to be a a pretty cool and exciting episode. Is all the news coverage to the royal wedding. All all, All the media coverage to the royal wedding. You mean to tell me all the critical things we have going on in the world today, and you spend the, you 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 choose to spend whatever time you're not spending on stupid Donald Trump, Russia, or Stormy Daniels. You you decide to spend any of the little time, spare time that you do have on the royal wedding, really, on a wedding that has to do with a country or family that that's not here. Another stupid, stupid, stupid choice. Like I said, sarcastically speaking, these are some real graduate decisions going on. Some real graduate decisions going on. And furthermore, what I want to, I want to kind of call out um, everybody who's been paying attention to it. And this is the reason why. If anybody remembers my previous episode it was entitled um, Intellectual ADD. And I basically talked about how a lot of social justice issues and a lot of reform can't get done because 
the government, the media, whoever um, is able to really just play like three card molly with people's minds. People are easily distracted from what's important. Um, all you got to do is, you know, it's, it's like we're it's like the general public or, or, or cats or fish. You know, you wiggle something shiny in front of them and their attention is instantly grabbed away from what's important. I even critiqued Donald Glover's This Is America video um, as an example. Um, how basically the video depicts, you know, different tragedies or whatever going on in the background. But many people don't even notice it because of all the dancing and music and celebrating and stuff going on by Donald Glover and the backup dancers and stuff like that. You guys just proved my point. You just proved my point in a matter of days. So what was it? Thursday, Friday, the Santa Fe school shooting happened. And then the next, the very next day, Saturday, y'all, most of y'all seem like you forgot all about it. All you talking about is a royal wedding. The the wedding of a couple that, that, that doesn't even live in America, a wedding who, by the way, you you're you're celebrating a family who. How do you think they got all that money? That's a super expensive wedding that costs millions of dollars. How do you think they got all that money? And for for the black folks out there, I'm talking directly to you. To be honest with you, all y'all who were so caught up in a royal wedding, this 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 part is directly for you. The royal family got all that money, all that money that was spent, all that glitz and glamour that y'all are in awe about. They got that not because they they have jobs. Nobody in the royal family has a job. None of them own companies or businesses. All the money spent, all the money they live on, all the money that they use to travel and jaunt around the world was built on the backs of many of your ancestors. Because the royal family, the, what they have known, they haven't done anything for, I mean, any nation that I know of, anything positive, anything philanthropic, or largely philanthropic, for any, uh, any you know, nations, especially African nations, or with people of color that I know of lately. But they gained all their wealth through the colonization and enslavement and the stripping of resources of different countries in the past, whether they be South American, Caribbean, African. That's how they got all their money. Yet, so many of you so-called woke folks out there, so many of you so-called righteous, down-for-the-cause folks out there, you were so easily distracted by a huge social justice issue Friday you're distracted from that so you can celebrate the life of a family who's known for getting rich off the very things that you supposedly protest. Oh, and by the way, let's not also forget that yesterday or Saturday, the day of the royal wedding, that was also Malcolm X's birthday. I doubt very many of y'all even, even remembered that, said anything about it. Or celebrated it as much as you celebrated and were so intent on, you know, being all over every detail of the royal wedding. Did you stop to think that what, you know what I'm saying? Did you stop to think about what Malcolm X, 
sacrificed for you, for you to have. He gave the he gave the ultimate sacrifice. He lost his life fighting for your rights and your freedoms. You so-called righteous woke folks. Yet y'all already easily distracted, and this man is, is is not his birthday wasn't as important as it was for you to celebrate the wedding of somebody in the uh, uh, in the Windsor family. Talk about graduate decisions. Talk about stupid choices. Talk about intellectual ADD. I can find no better example so far than that. But I digress. Um, this entire show was not supposed to be about that. But those are definitely the three things that I wanted to bring about um, that I thought were just really showed me uh, how we as people can still be pretty dumb at times, still be so uh, easily distracted and show a lack of intellectual maturity uh, and show some ineptitude in a way. But whatever. So to some more exciting things, actually, one of the main topics that I kind of wanted to talk about today is so. So a lot of you know how much I am into science and how much I love science. And these next this next topic that I'm going to get on and these next uh, few news flashes that I'm going to talk about are a prime example of why I love science, why science should be pushed harder throughout our schools why we should make science more of more of a more of a pillar in our schools right now everything is geared towards um, reading and math you know for scores math and reading and math scores are what most school what, what most teachers are being pressured about. Uh, bringing up for for their for their students to show that they are doing their jobs in the classroom to show to try to gauge this uh, how successful students are going to be, but they like I've always told you know talked about when it comes to science science teaches a teaches us critical thinking that we 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 don't easily develop in other disciplines. Well, I was reading BBC News early in the week and came across a really, really amazing article. Um, and it was surrounding cancer and a Brazilian wasp. Um, and essentially what that article talked about is a potential breakthrough in curing cancer from could, could, you know, may have been found in the sting of a Brazilian, the venom of a Brazilian wasp. Um, the sting of, so as I was reading, I read that the sting of a Polybia paulista, an aggressive social wasp found in southeast Brazil, it has venom that latches on to tumor cells and makes them leak like important molecules that are needed for cancer to develop. Um, the specific toxin that is found in the venom, it's called MP1. What I read is that it interacts with fat molecules that are normally distributed on the surface of cancer cells. And 
what this MP1 does is it creates holes that the molecule, that it creates, it creates holes that a molecule, you know, molecules needed for cell function leak out. So in layman terms, the, this, you know, what they've discovered is this, this enzyme or this, um, this toxin picture, picture a tumor, a cancerous tumor. Um, and how, you know, essentially how cancer develops or how it forms is, you know, cancer cells are like rapidly reproducing or whatever, whatnot. And they use, there's, there's different molecules that are needed that are essential for this, for this to happen. Well, essentially this toxin, this, uh, that, that is found in the venom pokes holes, creates holes in these tumors or around the casing around these tumors, and those molecules leak out. And it, so it, it essentially, it prevents them, it prevents the tumor from being, or the cancerous tumor or the cancerous cells from being able to replicate themselves because they don't have all the components. One of the vital components that is needed to make the, to you know, to make these cancerous cells, it just leaks out. Um, I think that that's huge. That is for all the people out there who, I mean, I, I think essentially, I think everybody in in America, maybe even the world, to be honest with you, has in some way, shape or form been impacted by cancer, whether it's been themselves or a close relative or a distant relative or the friend of a family. Everybody knows somebody who has been impacted by cancer. And for them to find and for those who are familiar with cancer, you know, for the different treatments and stuff like that, you know, there's chemotherapy, which has proven to be successful at times. But people know that. But but for those who are familiar with cancer, you know that chemo is really hard for people who who are taking part in, in those trials and, and receiving chemotherapy. I've even heard some people say that taking chemo, the way they feel from chemo itself actually feels worse than actually having cancer because it riddles it, it weakens your body that much depending on what type of uh, chemotherapy you're receiving but it's really tough on the individuals taking it so i mean just think about that you have a you have a life-altering life-changing disease which could be terminal um which could kill you and your only avenue to to so one of your only avenues to survival, especially if it isn't caught soon enough, maybe a treatment that makes you feel like crap every time you gotta take it. it, makes you feel worse than you than you are than you already are from actually having the cancer in your body. That's tough, really tough, and demoralizing for some. And I imagine a lot of people with cancer have chosen have died simply because they've chosen to not go through um, the rigors of chemotherapy. And who's to say that they're wrong about that? You can't blame them. Who's to say what you would do? Would you be, you know, have, if you were in that situation, I say, never say never, unless you are put in a particular situation. It's easy to say what you would or wouldn't do, but things change when your own life is on the line. um, And you're not sitting on the sidelines. Now, while it's still brand new and experimental, this, like I said, this could be a huge breakthrough. Um, because what it what it 
the, one of the possibilities that comes from it is using multiple drugs to attack to attack different parts of cancer cells. Um, and so dismantling the cancer cell piece by piece, I guess in a manner of speaking, or in crude terms, that's a very high level explanation of it. Um, but that uh, potentially sounds a lot easier on somebody mentally, physically, and emotionally than a chemotherapy. Now, of course, there'll still be issues with it. Um, <clears throat> if it if it does prove to be uh, a viable resource, um, such as dealing with big pharma, you know, pharmaceutical co- companies getting a hold of this, patenting it, and you know, driving the prices and stuff up. Everybody knows how our healthcare system here in America is good for that sort of thing. Um, they've yet to find side effects. Or um, or anything like that. But like I said, it's purely experimental. This is the early stages of it. But it does, um, it is, I guess, a way like a light at the end of the tunnel. And as I was saying before, it is one of the things that I really love about science. Um, because when you, when you think about this, when you think about this, just think about the, the entire concept. If a disease like cancer that's known for killing, you know, thousands of people a year um, and affecting countless lives, and then simple, something as simple as a, the sting from a wasp could be what ultimately is uh, a piece to the puzzle to cure to cure such a disease. That's that's huge to me. Um, all that being said, I'm not surprised at all because if you know anything about nature or you pay attention to nature, nature is all about balance. Uh, the yin and the yang, um, for those who are familiar with that, that age-old symbol. Um, nature has always shown that for every problem that it produces, it also produces its own solution. And I'd also contend that you know many of the problems that people face or that we we currently face in the world is is actually not caused you know by nature at all. It's it's caused by people, um, by the way we treat the environment, by the way we either destroy, alter chemicals, and put them in our body. So I you know I would I would even go as far as to say some of the things you know illnesses or sicknesses or whatever that we do have that we have not quite found the cure to. I would go as far as to say a lot of those, there's probably no cure to them <clears throat> or we haven't found the cure to them because they're not caused by nature at all. They're caused by us. As I said, nature is about balance. Whatever nature puts out there, whatever disease, whatever whatever problem nature presents, it also presents a solution for it. It's all about us finding it. And who knows with the way that we treat the environment, who's to say that there aren't other solutions or cures of certain diseases that we haven't come across simply because the insects or the animals that contain these chemicals, these enzymes, these toxins haven't been eradicated by us, by urbanization, by the way we 
you know, deforestation, all these different things. Um, I remember back when I was in middle school, I was reading an article on like a National Geographic and it said something like there are because of deforestation and the way we're cutting down countless numbers of trees in the the rainforest scientists predicted that on average every year there's something like several hundred several hundred species of insects that have gone extinct that we actually haven't even discovered simply because how neglectful we are to the rainforest how we're just blindly going down cutting down trees and so there's, there's all these plants and animals or insects or whatever that have gone extinct that may that may hold a cure to a lot of to a lot of our ailments. Think about that. Think about everybody you have lost from some type of sickness or illness, and think about how they could have potentially been saved had we been more careful with the way we treat our environment and had we put more money or efforts towards. Um, research and development and and the discovery of, of different plants, animals, you know, fauna, flora, and how we could, you know, cultivate those and see how they interact with the human biology. Amazing type of discoveries. Amazing type of implications. And, I mean, each... I'd have to say, you know, there's been a, it's at least a couple times a year we hear about some type of new animal that's found, some type of new fish, insect, lizard that's found. Think about if we were putting so much more effort towards that, towards preservation, how many more we would find, how many more cures we would run out, we would we would discover. Like I said, a lot of implications, and indeed, and to me. Um, it's an exciting time. Um, it's always an exciting time. Any, anytime we discover something new or there's some new, t- new type of scientific breakthrough like that. As I said, this is why I love science. This is why more effort needs to be put, you know, money and effort needs to be put towards teach, you know, science in our schools. So while I was down that rabbit hole, I started to kind of like look up other things and kind of research other insects and animals. And another animal that I came across that I also started to think about could have potentially huge impacts um, medically and lead to some huge medical breakthroughs is an animal that's super hard. The name is super hard to pronounce. Um, it's spelled A-X-O-L-O-T-S. And I even had to like cl- click on the little Google Translate thing for, to hear how it was said. And it's a shodel, um, uh, uh, or the other commonly known name, is the Mexican salamander or Mexican walking fish. And the reason I, this animal kind of really caught my attention and I got super excited about that is as I was reading about it, well, first and foremost, it's actually a pretty funny-looking animal. So if anybody had the time to look it up or Google it, you should. It looks, I mean, not that, you know, 
all salamanders or whatever are attractive animals. But this one definitely, uh, it's like a, it's definitely if you were to come with a crude, um, imagination, you know, imaginary thought or description of an animal that comes from outer space, this might fit the bill. But the reason that it caught my attention is like many salamanders or geckos and different, you know, lizards, you know, of that uh, genus or whatnot, they're able to regenerate essentially every part of their body. But not just every part of their body. I'm talking about like even some, you know, less essential parts of their brain and their spinal cord. Think about that. We've, you know, heard plenty about different lizards and animals that, you know, they can regrow tails, they can regrow arms, regrow, regrow legs or some, you know, so on and so forth. But the regrow parts of your brain and your spinal cord, that's huge, huge. Think, just think if scientists could successfully like map out and understand Map out, understand, and recreate those traits in human beings. Imagine repairing, you know, appendages for people harmed in accidents, wars, or folks who sustained brain damage. Being able to replicate what, you know, the 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 traits that are seen in the Mexican salamander to enable somebody to walk again. Think how many lives that would change. Now, while I do get excited about this, I do not promote. I absolutely do not promote science and research to the point where you are like, you know, mindlessly and like going, you know, just going out and like testing on all these different, like, you know, catching and testing a whole bunch of different animals and killing a lot of different animals and um, to the point of where we're like hurting their population or to extinction, because, you know, I understand what I said, you know, the excitement that I have about the toxin found in the, you know, this Brazilian wasp and then um, some of the traits that I'm talking about in this uh, Mexican salamander. But one of the issues that this Mexican salamander uh, faces is they're actually near extinction due to urbanization. Um, I've already had to sit through and watch the, ex, you know, the possible extinction of the white rhino. I think it was like a couple months ago, the last male white rhino passed away. And then maybe only like a couple females that are left in captivity. I mean, that's insane. And so while I am excited about the implications of <clears throat> learning things from these animals, I just want to make it clear I am not um, for or promoting, you know, being so intent on unlocking these genetic secrets or genetic codes that we are, you know, damaging the population of these creatures. Because if we... 
you know, if we do that and these creatures, creatures are no longer around, then there's absolutely no longer any possibility of figuring out how they do what they do. And I did read that, you know, scientists right now are currently, um, they currently are studying it. Um, but I didn't, you know, find much about, you know, if or if or what type of findings they had, what type of breakthroughs were made. But that being said, um, that was that was just something, like I said, that really stuck out to me in between reading about that and a possible cure for cancer. Once again, another reason why I love science and why I don't think science gets it's it's uh, it's just due. I think scientists, man, we need more scientists to be honest with you. We need more science and scientists in government. I've said this before, you know, if we had more scientists and critical thinkers, problem solvers, you know, people like that in our Congress and Senate, I feel like we'd be a lot better off. We'd be a whole lot further than where we are right now than having, you know, I think the the majority of them come from like a law background. So basically they're professional, professional arguers bent on winning and, and, and not, you know, finding common ground or, or searching the truth like a scientist is. So, yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of what I have for you guys when it came to that. Um, super exciting. If anybody else has, you know, uh, knows anything or has seen any articles about these two uh, or, you know, this animal and insect that I just highlighted or anything else recently that um, that could be seen as like a huge scientific discovery. Yo, shoot me an email. Send me an email about it and tell me either where to look for it or what you found out about it on chilltimepod at gmail.com. Um, and with that, I'm actually going to move to my main topic, the number one thing that I want to talk about in this podcast episode. Um, and uh, I actually got the uh, got the idea to talk about this from uh, a Food Access Network meeting that I attended earlier this week. I frequently attend meetings like that. I'm a, you know, I work with the Food Nutrition Commission. Um, I am on the Birth Equity Community Council. I, I'm in a lot of different auxiliary organizations and committees like that because I care about, I care about my community. Um, I care about the people and I care about doing what's best for everybody. Um, and and th- in this particular uh, meeting, we were talking about different aspects of life that pertain to f- food justice. And one of the questions that was raised was, what is power? Can people define power? And as you would expect, you know, a lot of people had different answers. Um and, you know, I would even ask you all, you know, my listeners, who defines power and how is it defined? I would really be interested in knowing what some of you guys think. Now, to me, my, you know, what I said is the definition of power will differ from person to person. 
and their definition will most likely be reflective of their immediate traumas or financial situation or social standing. So what I meant by that is, for instance, a poor person may define power as being rich or wealthy because that is their immediate trauma or situation at the time. They feel powerless because they like like the financial means. So they feel like life would be better if they had if they were better, better, you know, find better off financially, a starving person may define having power or being powerful as being able to afford food or eat whatever they like, whenever they like a person who works a job that they don't like and gets paid very little may define power as having a leadership or management position, um, where they, you know, make a lot more money. Somebody in poor health may define power as simply being healthy or having access to resources to become and remain to become healthy and remain healthy. I know that, you know, I've had family members who always say, ain't nothing like having your health. You know, you can have everything in the world, but if you don't have your health, you don't really have anything. And being that I work in public health, uh, I, you know, I would concur. You know, being, you know, somebody who's gone through some of my own medical trials and tribulations in the past, you know, when I was near death or whatever, I could tell you it didn't matter how much money was in my bank account, nothing. All that mattered at that moment is whether I was going to make it or not. So I could give testament to that. Um, but I'll get back to, to my definition of power. And I, so, so I believe that power is in fact having influence. That's what I believe power is being able to influence or manipulate things or people in a manner in which you like or to your advantage. So to have true power, if you have true power, if you are able to to influence people or situations, everything that I listed up top, whether it be health or access to you know better health care, whether it is more money, a better job, whether it is food, you'd have all those things if you had power, if you had influence. As I spoke out, before, you know, as I said before, nature is about balance and I don't believe power is any different. And this is this is what I mean by that. So in the case of social justice, where the common man lacks, you know, his lacks, lacks the power and money. So when, when I and when I make the comment of common man, I mean, those who are not in the one percent, I mean, those who are either in poverty or you're making less than six figures or. You, you know, you may live semi comfortably, but if you miss one check, you know, paycheck things could be, you, you could be in some serious trouble. All right. So that, that's what, when I'm talking about the common man, that's who common man or a woman, I, I don't mean to excuse women or act like women don't exist. So common man or woman. Um, so in social justice terms where they lack power and, and money or finances, they more than make up for that with power and numbers when and only when they're organized and then, and on one accord in agreement. Like I said, that top 1% is in fact just 
You know, 1% of the people in the world control 99% of the wealth. They may control 99% of the people, even 99% of the wealth in the world, but they're in fact only 1% of the population. The other 99%, by definition, has numbers and power. I mean, power and numbers. And I think that we could have some real change if we flex that. You know, you hear about it a lot when it comes, when we talk about voting and boycotting and stuff like that. That's flexing power and numbers. That's flexing, that's flexing your power and numbers using, you know, your organization tools to, to wrangle everybody who, who may, who, who have one common goal or have, or, or have something in common as far as what they need or what they're trying to do and getting them organized as far as the correct strategy to get there. Those people, in fact, have power that a lot of times they just don't know and they don't see. And I believe this 1% knows that, and that's why they do so much to keep people divided and keep us um, going against one another so that we don't. they recognize where our power lies. And as long as we remain disorganized and un- unable to you know, agree, we, in fact, with the way our society is set up, do lack the power to combat them unless we put those differences aside and combine and get together. When it comes to the legal system, for instance, the wealthy still flex their power and numbers through the use of prisons. I'll go into more in depth. I go 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 into more depth about that, explain that to you a little bit more. I want to know if any of you ever Um, wonder or realize why prisons are often put in rural areas or the outskirts of suburbs. I need y'all to think about that for a second. When their new prisons are being built, you never see them really be built right on the edge of bigger cities or heavily populated districts or urban districts at all. Well, I'll explain to you several reasons why. Um, because those prisoners count towards the population of whatever community or district that that prison lies, even though they can't vote. Think about that for a second. Prisoners, even though they can't vote, count towards the population of the districts and where their prison resides. That effectively turns prisons into super delegates. And seeing as how in most of these outer, you know, these suburbs that you see a lot of these prisons in, a lot of these, you know, people who live out there are in higher tax brackets or typically, not always, but typically have more money than people in urban areas. Essentially, what it what it did is it gave wealthy people super delegates. It gave wealthy people more representation in our government. And it did that by manipulating the system and using people who have, they have already stripped of their rights. To give you a greater perspective of that, um, I'll give you like a little bit of a history lesson. 
this rule essentially the the way that that operates is essentially like the three the 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 um the three fifths uh vote during slavery the, the, the you know the the slavery days before the emancipation for those of you who don't understand what the what the three fifths clause or vote was it meant that every slave or every enslaved person counted as three-fifths of a vote. All right? And everybody knows slaves or enslaved people at that time could not vote. But they still counted as three-fifths of a vote. So this was a rule that was put into place for Southern plantation owners so that they could have more representation in their districts when it came to elections. Does any of this sound familiar to you guys? So wealthy, rich plantation owners were able to use black bodies that by law during that time didn't count for anything else, didn't count as actual individuals, didn't count as actual people, but they were able to count towards representation for these plantation owners. Each body was worth three-fifths of the person. You can't tell me that isn't strikingly familiar to prisoners counting as a person for some of these wealthier or rural districts when they themselves don't count when it comes to when it comes to society and when society looks at them. And yes, I can say that they don't count. It's not that I believe that they don't count, but it's the way that we treat them when they get out when they get out of prison. When they get out of prison, we say it's supposed to be a second chance. But we're they're often discriminated from jobs, housing, everything. And then we wonder why they tr- when, when they try so hard to do the right thing, to get a decent job, to get their own place, and they're unable to do it because we discriminate against them, then we wonder why they wind back, wind back in prison wind up back in prison for doing the same thing. Because we made it that way. It's like a trap for them. It's a trap. When you go to prison for, a, you know what I'm saying, a felony or any type of federal offense or anything like that, it disqualifies you from any type of public housing. And not only does it disqualify them from any type of public housing, if they go live with somebody when they get out of prison, if they go try to live with somebody who is uh, who 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 does utilize public housing, that individual can can lose their right to have public housing. That's how tricky and trapped up this game can be, and that's how far. No, I'm not going to say how far things have changed because things haven't changed at all. That's how well they've been able to cover up and manipulate things and utilize power. The wealthy and privileged have been able to utilize power, their power, their power in, in, in their dollars, and their power and influence to keep control of things. To keep, you know, high numbers of representation in different districts. To keep dollars flowing in. And our prisons are privatized. 
So that means, you know, federal dollars that are used to take care of prisoners are going right back to the wealthy people who own these private prisons. But that's a whole, that's, that's a whole another topic. Crazy, isn't it? But let me talk about, um, let me talk about other ways in, w- in which, you know, common men and women are able to flex our own power um, in our numbers. Let's, um, let's take riots, for instance. Anytime I would see a riot on TV, um, I used to question why people destroyed places in their community when they were upset. I mean, I understood it, but I didn't. Because I understood, as a black person, I understood the pain, the rage, the hate, the anger of why they were doing it. You know, you live in a society where you're marginalized, people treat you like crap. And even when things seem to be obvious and you play by their rules, you still lose. So I understood their writing. But I still used to kind of turn my head at the fact that we were destroying things in our own community. But then I started to think about it a little bit closer. So, and it really started to change the way I saw it. It started to change the lens to which I viewed riots. Because you see, in a lot of these poor communities where riots are happening, like we don't own those convenience stores that are being burned down and looted. We don't own those drug stores or grocery stores in the community that are being burned down or looted. People who actually live outside our community own those. Those stores, those businesses are often owned by people who live in a higher tax bracket, who live in the suburbs, who still control things, who who are legislators, who are politicians, listen to more. Why? Because those people have more money than than. Than, than, than poor and impoverished people do. So then when I started looking at it that way, it was like, you know what? The, the trouble might be going down in our community and the burning and looting may be going down in our community. We may be tearing up or destroying certain resources in our community but we're not actually tearing down or destroying anything that we actually own. Those things actually belong to the enemy, the enemy itself, right? So at that, so so then at that point, like I said, I stopped kind of being confused or turning my head around it. You know, if when it comes, I, you know, I, I, earlier I spoke about how the one per, top one percent or wealthy people, how their power and influence lies in the money. If there's one, that, that, that was only partially true. I know I'm over stuttering and stuff, y'all, but you know, hang in there with me because I learned that in fact, black folks actually spend, have a spending power of over two to $3 trillion annually in America. We actually do have power, uh, financially, not individually, but when we combine our dollars, we actually have a ton of power. Now, just think if though we stopped spending those two or three trillion dollars, you know, 
and put in those two and three trillion dollars in mainstream America and kept them in our community. Because unfortunately, even though we have two or three trillion dollars in spending power in the African-American community, our in, in our communities, our demographic money leaves African-American dollars leave African-American communities more than the dollars of any other community. That means we spend money outside of our community more than, you know, whites spend money outside of their community, Africans, Asian folks, every, everybody tends to spend more money in their communities but us. And until we learn how to support each other better financially and put more dollars, you know, keep our dollars back in our community... We are going to only be able to think of having, you know, be only be, only be able to think of the type of influence or power we have only being in our numbers and not financially. You know how significant it is about significant it is when I say money leaves our community more than any other any other culture, any other uh, ethnic group. Think about it this way: every dollar that we spend. For somebody else, we're, that basically means we're putting their kids through college when we can barely put our own kids through college, if 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 we can even do it at all. Think about that. African American people can't put their own kids through college, but we put everybody else's kids through college purely off our spending power and where we put our dollars. That's crazy, ain't it? Now, I realize, too, some will come out and say, well, it's hard to keep our money in our community um, when what what the things that we need to spend money on is owned by other groups or, or other people, which is partially true. But I've seen plenty of black entrepreneurs out there, and we are the first to actually try to nitpick and find something wrong with businesses or products created and developed by our own people. We need to get out of that mindset. We're the first, I remember, even remember people saying, like, I remember, uh, you know, as a corner store when I was younger, owned um, by a black family, and some people kind of didn't, you know, didn't want to go get stuff from there because they talked about how expensive it was. Well, think about it. If you go ahead and bite the bullet and support them enough to the point where they're able to expand and, 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 get products from elsewhere so whether so that their overhead costs are lower then we they would actually be able to you know sell cheaper products and it wouldn't it, w- it wouldn't be so expensive in the long run we got to get out of the mindset and get out of the habit of thinking that supporting our own people is too is too expensive do it anyway cuz you wind up paying for it in the long run do it anyway so anyway, let's get back. Let's get back to to these riots, though, and how I'm going to use this as an example of how we we would uh, we could actually flex power. And by the way, I'm not condoning that we go out burning and looting and burning and looting things and rioting um, at the at the drop of a dime. I'm just using this as an example of how 
there's still a balance in the world when it comes to power and influence and how to properly and and when you properly use the the power and influence that you have you can still have the desired effect the outcome and so and so when i touch back on the riots let's let's think about what we see on the news right even when we have when we're having riots in our communities you guys also ever notice how the police kind of sit there for a little while before they start dispersing and tear gassing and breaking things up You guys ever notice that? That's because they don't live in the community. So they could care less about the resources and stuff that we're destroying there. They could care less about that. It's not affecting them. Everybody knows most of the police officers that police our communities don't live in our actual communities. I believe if most of them did, some of them would probably still act the same way. But I think we would see us. A little bit more uh, tact or candor in their behavior. Now, now, and so now that I've that I've uh, highlighted that the fact that they are they are slow to act when we're tearing apart our own community because they don't live in our community. Think about which communities they care about the most. Think about which communities our legislators care about the most. We've already talked about and established that those who usually live in a higher tax bracket usually get heard before those who live in poverty, right? In a capitalist country, money talks. Everybody's like, we've always said that. Everybody knows. You, you, you've heard it for years, the phrase that money talks. So since money talks... And that supposedly in our community is not where a lot of the money lies because we haven't pulled our dollars together the way we should. Think if we, every time something negative happened in our community, we stopped rioting in our community. And we thought that we thought that maybe we should band together, organize, and we go up to the suburbs and riot. Think about what would happen, what type of change would happen, and how quickly legislators, police, and voters in those neighborhoods would react. When every time an injustice was done in that community, we didn't you know, mess up our own corner stores. We didn't tear down our own grocery, uh, grocery store. I'm not our own. I'm not going to say that because, remember, I just highlighted that we don't actually own those. They're owned by people outside of the community, but they're the ones that we utilize in the community. So, let me rephrase. Think about what would happen if every time we rioted, we weren't tearing down and destroying the drug stores, grocery stores, and corner stores that we utilize. And we went out to the suburbs and tore those down. Burned those. Destroyed neighborhoods of people who live in a higher tax bracket than us. How soon do you think you would see change? I bet you would see change, if not immediately, within weeks. Because how long do you think it would take before somebody who lives in a wealthy neighborhood, every time an injustice happened in our community, how long do you think it would, for, it would take for them to call up the local police chief or commissioner or legislative rep in their district and say, 
you guys really need to change something. You need to do something different. Because every time you mess up in their neighborhood, they destroy things down in our neighborhood. Or every time you kill somebody in their neighborhood, we have to worry about something happening here. How soon do you think that will change? How soon do you think legislation will change? How soon do you think police work will change? Now, do I think that this is the only thing needed to elicit real change? Um, when it comes to police reform and through legislation? No. But I do think it it would get the ball rolling. I do think through exercising our power and influence through our numbers and through the way we strategically target certain people or certain neighborhoods with our actions, we could use that influence to our benefit. I have no doubt in my mind. That, my friends, is power. That is influence. As I said before, power is having influence. Influence can get you money. Influence can get you food. Influence can get you jobs. Influence can get you whatever it is that you like. That is true power. Think about what it is that you have influence over in your life. Once you do that, I want you to then to think about how powerful you actually feel or how powerful you actually are. Think about the times in your life you've actually felt powerful. I'm betting that any of those times, any time that you actually felt powerful, it was a time that you actually had influence or control over the entire situation or the majority of it. So that, my friends, has been my show for today. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. As always, remember... Um, Anything that I talk about, my opinions on any of this, these type of things, they are completely open for critique. If there's ever something that you want me to elaborate on, something that you want to critique, you disagree with, or even a new topic that you want to bring, um, bring up for me to talk about, please email me at chilltimepod at gmail.com, and I will definitely address those. Um, so once again, it's been fun. This has been my 10th episode and I'd like to keep doing it. And I actually think I am going to start bringing on a guest to interview. So if any of you are interested in being a guest on the show and being interviewed and just having a good old fashioned conversation with me about anything under the sun, I'll even let you choose. We could definitely do that. Um, so I appreciate all you guys listening today. Um, I hope you listen again. And with that, I am done.
that you're listening to the sound of the show Jazz Beat. I'm the K-I-N-G, the G-I-M, King Jim the Third, and I am here. Just me, Fat Fat, and the crew, we're doing it all just for you. We're strong as an ox and tall as a tree. We can rock it so viciously. We throw the hives in your eyes, the bass in your face. We're the funk machines that rock the human race. Skate, sound, boogie, shot. Come on, girl, let's do the rock. Slam, dunk, do the jerk. Let me see your body work. Stomp your feet and 
when you clap your hands Cause you listen to the sound of the fat bang man Ain't nothing new in what I do Cause I'm doing it all just for you I'm hotter than tea, I'm sweeter than honey I'm not doing it for the money I'm sugar-coated, double-dunk, chocolate MC man I'm sweeter than the almond joy and grandma's sweet old jam I'm the modified, the rectified, kazinkified, kajuthified, kaputified, kazuthified To rock your mind, see, all the time To the beat, everybody, to the beat, everybody It's on and on and on and on Like hot butter on, say what's the popcorn? Once you reach the top, you won't be alone. You got King Jim on the microphone. Just grab your partner, you start to swing. Cause I'm well known just like Burger King. I don't sell burgers, whole french fries. I'm only here to make your nature right. Just grab your partners around and round. Just grab a by the butt and book it down. Just open up a jacket and open a bra. And dance just like at the Mardi Gras. I'm the man of action, the main attraction. The girls call me the satisfaction. I'm the Romeo, the Casanova. Here tonight, I'm going to get over to the beat. Everybody. To the beat, everybody.